The subject of that video, sex trafficking, has become a major issue in our nation. Uh, maybe you read where 16 girls were rescued just prior to the Super Bowl in New York City. They found that the Super Bowl was a, a prime time for the sex trafficking to occur and, and steal uh, these children. Uh, the 16 girls that were rescued in New York City were between the ages of 13 and 17. Uh, that's who they are going after. That's who they are looking for. They are the most impressionable uh, in that, that age group. And don't think that it is just a big city problem. Uh, there are reports of this actually happening right here in our community. Uh, where we live, where we go every day, uh, there are reports of this. Tonight at SNL, our senior high ministry, Sunday Night Live, Nadine Shingleton is going to share with our students the truth about this issue and what needs to be done in order to stop it, in order to, uh, to end the sex trade. And so I want to encourage all of you parents of senior hires, ninth grade through uh, 12th grade, to make sure your students are there tonight, uh, to, to get them there in the youth center, uh, 6.30, I think is when they start. So get them there at 6.30. Um, and, uh, you know, you're, they're not going to want to miss this. This is incredibly vital information to them, their friends, our community, our nation, and they need to, to know. If you are an adult here this morning and would like more information on how to fight this issue. Uh, Nadine said she would be willing to come right down and, and meet with anyone who would like to get involved or just get to more information. What are some resources I can begin to, to, uh, to look into? Nadine will be here down front uh, immediately after the service if, if you want more information on that. Uh, but let's, uh, let's go to prayer and ask God's blessing uh, upon this issue. And, and how we might, uh, as the church, step up. Father, we are thankful that you are a God who cares, that you are a God who loves us, that you are a God who has a plan for our life. And we know that this is not your plan. Father, we want to bring an end to this incredibly horrible issue. Father, we want to save, we want to rescue the lives of these young girls. So, Father, would you uh, pique an interest in us? Tap us on the shoulder, those that you want to get involved, those that you want to be a part of the solution, not the problem. Father, we acknowledge that we live in a very sinful, fallen world. Father, may we, the church, rise up. Would you give us the courage to stand and to fight? In Jesus' name, by his power and authority, we pray. Amen. Just a couple other real quick uh, announcements. The baby bottles for Life Choices, you've seen the display out there. You've walked past it several times. Uh, originally, today was the deadline to bring these in filled with all of your loose change, although we also like the money that doesn't make noise. Um, you can fill it up with that, too. Uh, that's a wonderful thing. But we are going to extend that deadline because of the weather and attendance just hasn't really been uh, because of the weather, uh, as large as it usually is, we're going to extend it one more week. So you have till next Sunday to get those baby bottles in. If you've already f filled one up and you've found you've got more change laying around, take another one. There's more empties uh, out there uh, for you to fill up. And just as an update, uh, so far we have brought in 
uh, $6,600 is what we've brought in so far. I think that's actually a little under what we did last year. So you've got one more week uh, to break the record. Um, Let me also tell you what this is used for. Um, Life Choices is a crisis pregnancy center. Um, they're started in Catanning. There's a, a, a clinic in Butler, clinic in Catanning, and they just newly opened one up in Indiana. Last year in the Butler clinic alone, 29 babies were rescued. That's 29 <laughs> girls who came into the clinic with the intent of getting an abortion and changed their mind. Uh, that's what you're giving to. That's, that's what's going on. So let me encourage you uh, to do that. Also, Venison Dinner is coming up in just a couple weeks. And uh, tickets go on sale between these services, so don't do the stampede out there. Um, but uh, I will let you know that between 850 and 900 men will be here on the 22nd. And in order to feed those 850 to 900 men, we need 200 volunteers to help. And if you go right out the center doors, there's a table there with three lovely ladies sitting at the table that would love to sign you up to be a volunteer that night. We can't do events like that without our volunteers. And so we need your help uh, with that. Anything else that, is a, uh, that might need to be announced is in your bulletin. Read that carefully uh, and uh, make note of the things that, that apply to you. Let me ask you this. We have the caution signs. This is a caution warning. Pastor Ted is preaching this morning. Um, I assume that's what, what, what the warning is. How many of you have ever ignored a warning signal? You're smirking. You're smiling. Some of you are even raising your hands and admitting it. The flashing lights while you drive. Have you ever driven around the railroad crossing arms because you know you can beat the train? You got there, you're in a hurry, they just came down, you look, the train's three blocks away and it's not really not moving that fast, so you just, you know you can get right around it. Someone ever given you advice or a warning about something that you were doing or about to do, but you knew better than they did? So you ignored the advice, you ignored the warning signs. How many times are we given sound advice from a reliable source, but we choose to do our own thing? I've got some pictures up here of warning signs, and I wonder how many people saw this warning sign. You'll never get to work on time, ha, ha, ha. (laughs) Probably just drove right by and never even noticed it. I'm thinking this one could be fairly important to notice. I'm a bomb technician. If you see me running, try to keep up. (laughs) That's what he says on the back of his shirt. And I want to know what prompted the need for this sign. (laughs) Were they having just a rash of people that were running in and sitting on top of the crocodiles? That they had to put this sign, please do not sit on the crocodiles. And the last time I was at Pastor Denny's, Denny's house, I think this is the one I saw at the end of his driveway. I think it was his house. Every product we buy comes with a warning label. I admit, I don't read them. I don't read the cautions at the end of the instruction manuals. Sometimes it depends on who is giving you the warning, whether you will take heed or not. When we were back in Indiana for 
Sarah's grandpa's memorial service. We were wanting to go out to eat with her dad and her brother and her sister um, the, the day before the memorial service. The family had all come in, and we hadn't seen them in a while. And so we said, let's just all go out to dinner. And her sister said, well, the, the roads are really kind of getting bad. Can we, you know, pick a restaurant that's near the hotel where they're staying? Yeah, sure, no problem. Now, I could have gotten upset because we were staying 45 minutes away. And she was concerned that the roads were getting bad, and she wanted to be like within walking distance of the hotel. She didn't care that we were going to have to drive 45 minutes in the bad weather on the bad roads. Now, I could have gotten really upset, but I didn't. You know why? She's from Atlanta. <laughs> we had less than an inch on the ground. The roads weren't that bad. I could totally ignore her warning and her advice. Now, Wednesday, we got dumped with a lot of snow. And I went out Wednesday morning to start shoveling out the driveway. And I went down into the basement. And as I was putting on my coveralls and grabbing my boots, I stepped on an old rusty nail. Now, I didn't puncture the nail was laying on its side, and I stepped on the head of the nail, but when it twisted, it just kind of filleted the bottom of my foot. Well, I looked down, yeah, all right, put my boot on, I went out and started shoveling snow. Well, it started hurting because it was rubbing. I thought, eh, I probably need to cover that up. So I went back in, peroxided it, cleaned it all out, put the Band-Aid on, went back, shoveled snow, no big deal. Friday, now I'd, you know, been cleaning it. I hadn't ignored it for two days because it hurt. Friday, I went to clean it out Friday morning, and the warning sign was there that the infection that was around the wound was now working its way up one of the blood vessels. And I was probably about an inch, inch and a half, and I said, yeah, I probably need to go. When's the last tetanus shot? I have no idea. Here's the warning. If you can't remember the last tetanus shot, you're probably due. So I called the doctor. He got me in tetanus shot. Yes, I had a staph infection. Yes, you needed to take care of that. Yes, good job following the warning signs. But we don't always follow the warning signs. Paul was writing to the Colossians, and he was giving them a warning. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. Now, Colossae was a large city in Asia Minor. And uh, at one point, it was a major hub on the trade route from east to west. Uh, and so as such, it was a center for diverse cultures. There were a lot of different backgrounds, different belief systems, different cultures that were living in Colossae. And so Paul was writing this letter to the church, living in a diverse culture in a very large city. And he writes this. I, I want to start Colossians chapter 2, verse 1. Uh, this is part of what Denny preached last week, but uh, it kind of goes right into where we're going to be looking at this morning. I want you to know how much I am struggling for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge." I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So then just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, 
rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world, rather than on Christ. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. I'm going to try to grab the one that hasn't been opened. Colossians, Colossi. One of the tri-cities, I think we have a map that you can see. Uh, one of the tri-cities, it's there kind of right in the middle, right above the word uh, Lycia. Uh, and you can see right there, right above it was Laodicea, and right above it was Hierapolis. Those were kind of the tri-cities. And they were right in the center of all of the traffic flow between uh, the eastern portion and Rome. And so everything that, all the trade routes went right through these three cities. And so Colossae was a very valuable city, a very important city. Uh, but, but it was made up mostly of Gentiles, and Gentiles are anyone who's not a Jew. So if we, I don't think we have any Jews in here. So we're all Gentiles, so it's made up of people like us. Um, and yet there was also a very large number of Jews, some estimated as high as 50,000 Jews were living in Colossae. So 50,000 Jews, and they were really just a small portion of the population. You can begin to understand how big this city was. It was relatively close to the seven churches that John wrote to in the book of Revelation, of which Laodicea was one of those churches. This was a part of Paul's prison ministry. When he was in prison, he wrote Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians uh, to these churches that he had been a part of. Uh, and so Paul had always had a reason for writing these letters. It was never to just catch up. It was never to share how his day was going. He, he would not have done any of this on, you know, like a Facebook post or, or wouldn't have tweeted. He, he really had a purpose behind what he was saying. He really wanted them to read it, really wanted them to understand it, that it was important that they, they get this letter. In fact, he says, I, I need you to share this letter with the Laodiceans, with the church at Laodicea. And so in these verses, Paul gives us a warning. In verses 4 through 10, he gives us a warning. Then he explains the real danger if we don't heed the warning. And then he tells us where safety can be found. And so I want to look at the warning, verse 4. He says, I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. This letter was written to address errors that were prevalent in the churches of, of that region, not just Colossae, not just the Colossian church, but all of Asia Minor. And, and so Paul is warning them that the danger is right around the corner. He said, I, I want you to be aware. I, I tell you this so that no one's going to deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. He said, because there's a lot of really fine-sounding arguments out there. In this diverse city, in this culture that we live in, and now we live in a global culture. I mean, we're still somewhat isolated, somewhat insulated living in Butler. But through the internet, through Facebook, through cable television, through the, the, the world news, we, we are wide open to find sounding arguments. Paul said there are false teachers. There are some who are trying to mix Jewish beliefs, those claiming to be apostles of Jesus but weren't. 
And there were those with the, the false spirit of Jezebel. Now, if you don't know who Jezebel is, then you need to register for the walk through the Bible because Jezebel is a main character in the Old Testament. We need to understand that what we're facing, they needed to understand what they were facing. He said there are false teachers who are distorting the truth. They're preaching salvation, but they're preaching it by works. They're preaching that salvation comes by following the traditions, the ways in which we were raised. There was no emphasis being placed on grace. Paul says, don't be deceived by fine-sounding arguments. This is the warning because it's easy to fall trap. It's easy to fall into the trap. It's easy to fall prey to a fine if we don't know our stuff. then it's easy to believe something that is fine-sounding, that seems to make sense, seems to be logical. Persuasive speech that sounds right, but it's wrong. It seems logical, but it's not based in truth. And I am fearful as I, as I teach classes here, as I lead seminars here, as I preach here, as I talk to other pastors around this nation, and to even to missionaries around the globe, that individual Christians are having a hard time distinguishing the truth of God from fine-sounding arguments. That we're having a hard time understanding exactly what the biblical truth is, exactly what it is we're supposed to believe because we're being bombarded daily with fine-sounding arguments. Paul says, look out, it's coming. I'll say it's already here. You're getting hit with them every day. Some even throw the word Christian in there. Don't be deceived. The problem in Colossae was, was an inaccurate view of Jesus. If you read through this book, you'll see how many times that he brings up who Jesus is because that's foundational. If we don't have a right understanding of Christ, then we're just gonna, we're, we're headed for trouble. If we don't really know who Christ is and what he has done for us and what he wants to do for us, where he wants to lead us, how he wants us to live, how we, how we are to, uh, to think, then we're open for fine-sounding arguments. You see, in this whole book of Colossians, there was no mention of any immoral behavior going on in the Colossian church. Not true if you read Corinthians. That was one messed up church. They had sin running rampant. But Colossians, there's no mention of, in, of immoral behavior, just bad thinking, bad judgment. They said, you, you don't really understand who Christ is, and so you're making decisions, and you're pulling all this Jewish belief, you're pulling this Roman belief, you're pulling your, your traditions, what you grew up with, and you're calling it gospel. Paul said, don't be deceived. You're a little off base wasn't a matter of salvation. It was a matter of just bad thinking. They had, they had the, trans, the, the transformed by faith in Christ part down, but Paul was calling them for it in the opening of his letter. He says, you know, I, I love you for your faith. I acknowledge your faith. He says, even in, in verse five, he said, and you are in how firm your faith in Christ is. But he said, you're off base on who Christ is. You've got the transformed by faith in Christ downright, but you're, you're growing in wisdom thing you're missing. 
don't be deceived. They weren't able to discern the truth from a lie. And my fear is that maybe we aren't as good at discerning the truth from a lie. Maybe as we're watching the news, we don't always pick up on the angle, on the wrongness. Because it sounds right. So this is a warning to us, the church, today. If we don't have an accurate biblical understanding of Jesus, our thinking about everything else that truly matters is going to be off. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? So Paul states his warning, just because something sounds right or is said persuasively doesn't make it true. He said, and then there's a danger in that. Verse 8, he says, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. See, if we aren't able to discern the truth from a lie in what we are hearing on the news, reading in papers, or, or reading on the internet, you're going to be taken captive by those lies. You're going to be taken captive. You're going to be carried off and enslaved by this bad thinking. And the scary part is you may not even recognize that you've been captured. Because you don't know what truth is. You don't know if that was truth or a lie. Paul says that's a danger in not knowing the difference. There's a danger in believing that we are right. Paul says only the truth works. In the long term, only the truth works. Jesus says the truth will set you free. And Paul says fine-sounding fine arguments will take you captive. Got to know the difference. We've got to be able to discern the difference. The reason why bad thinking doesn't work, Paul says, is it's hollow. Even though it looks good, even though it sounds good, even though they threw the word Christian in a few times, it's hollow. It has no substance, has no meat, it has no validity. It's, it's like that big chocolate Easter bunny you got when you were a kid that looks like it's about three or four pounds of solid chocolate, and you bite into the ear and it just crumbles because it's hollow. And it's not even that good at chocolate. It looked really good. It was fine looking. But the truth was there was no substance to it. Paul says there's a danger if you can't tell the difference between the hollow Easter bunny and the solid chocolate bunny. You're going to be disappointed. You're going to be disappointed if you can't distinguish the truth from a lie. Your, your life is going to be built on fine-sounding arguments, not on the truth of God. And Colossae was a, a mix of worldviews. And a worldview, let me just define it for you. It's a word that gets used a lot uh, lately, uh, especially in the church. Uh, a worldview is, a, is the basic assumptions that you make about what is real by which you make decisions and live your life. 
It's basically your, your worldview is just the, the basic assumptions that you make as to what is true, what is real, what is reality. And then you base all of your decisions, all of your life decisions are based on that worldview, on what you think is true. And it encompasses every aspect of your life. Every decision you make is based on your worldview, your view of what is real, your view of what is true. Everyone has a worldview. Whether you, whether you know it or not, whether you have identified it or not, you have basic assumptions about what is true, and you make your decision based on those all the time. When you drive around the warning signal, arms, you have made a basic assumption that that really is not for you and that you are safe in driving around it. I could have shown you a few videos that I found where people thought they could make it and they didn't. They based their life by ignoring the warning sign and thinking they knew best. They could discern the truth, you need to stop from the lie, I can get around it. How many times do we try to get around it? How many times do we just try to get by in life? Paul says there's a real danger that you may be making your decisions on hollow and deceptive thinking, dependent upon human tradition. And basic principles, there's that word, basic principles, the worldview of this world rather than God's principles, rather than a biblical worldview. The Colossians lacked a deeper knowledge of who Christ really is, and they were living life trying to combine the truth of God with the traditions of men, with what they had been brought up with. Today we face the the hollowness of, of worldviews like secular humanism. Secular humanism basically says man is at the center of everything. God does not exist. And so it's a reliance upon self and it's a reliance upon man. Because the concept of God is not rooted in reality. We face agnosticism. The belief that if God exists, it doesn't really matter because you can't know him and he doesn't play any real important role in your life. And so we've removed God from the decision-making process. We've removed God out. We live in a world that says God is not real. Two of the issues of our day that we are highlighting this month, the sex trafficking and abortion, are direct results of hollow and deceptive philosophies. Saying that life doesn't matter. That pleasure, your personal pleasure, is more important than another person's well-being. You can remove that thought from sex trafficking and you put it into about every other avenue. That your personal pleasure, your personal comfort, your personal well-being is more important than the other person's. So you look out for number one because nobody else is going to. You take care of yourself because nobody else is going to. Do you see where that is going to lead Yet it sounds right, doesn't it? we got to watch out for ourselves. Hollow, deceptive. Your worldview is going to shape who you are, what you are becoming. Paul's warning is just as true for us today as the church 2,000 years ago. 
There's wrong thinking out there. There are fine-sounding arguments. They're hollow, deceptive, based upon human tradition, not the basic principles of God. The danger comes when we mix our worldviews. When we take the biblical worldview and we mix it with tradition, when we mix it with humanism, when we, when we mix it with, with other thoughts that are out there, and we call it truth. I'm going to tell you, every one of us does that. I do that. There's a sin nature within us that is still active and still living and still causing us to make some wrong decisions and still bringing the lies in, still bringing the hollowness in, the deceptive, the fine-sounding arguments, and we mix them. What we have to do is, is begin to get pure thinking. We have to begin to think rightly, Paul says. We need to understand Sometimes we take the Bible, we get confused, we don't know it. We seldom read it, much less study it. But if your boss gave you a company manual and said, you need to know everything in this, this is how we do business. Your job depends on you knowing what's in this book. I'm going to venture to say you're not going to toss it aside and say, I'll figure it out as I go. You're diving into that manual. Folks, we've been given one. Paul says, use it. This is how you're going to get by. This is how you're going to make it in life. This is how you're going to come to the end. This is how you're going to discern right from wrong. This is our company policy. Paul says there's a danger, warning. If you don't know it, you're headed for trouble. And Paul also gives us some safety instructions. Because when, when there is danger present or coming, we, we've been taught to run to safety, to find safety. You know, when the tornado sirens go off, you run to the basement. Unless you live in Kansas, you run outside and see if you can find it. Then when you see it, you take pictures, post them on Facebook, and run to the basement. Paul gives us three Four things, actually, as safety instructions. This is what you need to do. So as not to be caught by the hollow and deceptive philosophy. So as not to be deceived by the fine-sounding arguments. This is what you need to do. Verse 6. 6 and 7, all we need to know. So then, just as you received Christ as Lord, continue to live in Him. That's one. The very first one, continue to live in Him. Our only hope is to continue to live in Christ. You've received Christ. And, and that, Paul says, just as you received Christ as Lord, that means to take to, to, to take with oneself, to join to oneself. It's an associate, a companion. You've received Christ. Denny preached the marvelous message last week that Christ in you. You've received that. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That Christ resides in you in the person of the Holy Spirit. And now if Christ lives in you, Paul is saying that he has attached himself to you. Now attach yourself to him and live in him. Sometimes we just like the fact that God's with me. He'll protect me. He'll do, and then I can go about my merry way and do what I want. No. It's live in him. Because he's in 
you. This is a partnership that we have entered into. And it's not equal partners. It's Jesus only. It's Jesus always. This is transformational faith. I don't live like this world. I don't talk like this world. I don't think like this world. Why? Because I have received Christ and he lives in me and I live in him. In him we move and live and have our being. The basic philosophy is this world says you are on your own. Every man for himself. God's not real. And at times we live that way. We get anxious. We get nervous. We want control. We take back control. Part of receiving him and living in him means believing he is who he says he is. The problem is we don't always know what he said that he is. We got the Savior part down. And then we just try to go along and figure out the Lord part. We need to accept, we need to acknowledge as he professes to be. Verse 9 says, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. Did you get that? Do you understand that one verse? He is the head of every power and authority, and he lives in you. The most powerful, authoritative person in the universe lives in you. Why am I so weak? Why do I give in to temptation? Because I don't live in him. I bought a lie. I don't truly believe that he has all power and authority. But he does. The truth is, he does. And the truth is, he can set you free from sin. The head over every power and authority lives in you if you have received him and believe him. And then he says, not as if that wasn't enough, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him. Rooted means to securely in the truth, established in the truth. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 13 to 14 says, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That's the plan, folks. That once we accept Christ and he lives in us, we begin to live in him. And part of living in him is being rooted and built up. It means that we, we become mature. We attain to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Do you know what the whole measure of the fullness of Christ is? Total power and authority. That's who he is. And we are working to understanding that then, Paul tells the Ephesians, we will no longer be infants. We'll no longer be tossed back and forth by the waves blown here and there by every wind of teaching, by every fine-sounding arguments. We'll not get tossed back and forth. We'll know the truth. We'll understand. We'll discern the truth from a lie. And when we read something on the internet, we'll go, that's not true. When we hear something on, on TV news, we'll go, that's not true. And here's why. I know why, right here. Because that's not reality. That won't work. But 
if we don't know it, if we're not rooted in it. So my question is, how rooted are you in scriptural truth? A little bit? You understand most things for yourself? Or do you understand them to the point to where you can explain it to others? That's what Paul was looking for. Paul's looking for people who understand. They're rooted and they can explain it to someone else. Paul wanted the, the Corinthian church to be teachers, but they were not rooted. He said, you're not right. You should be teachers by now, but you're not rooted. I want to give you meat, but you, you, you can only take milk. You can only take the basic small stuff. Paul says the whole point is to mature, to attain to the whole measure, the whole understanding, so that we're not tossed back and forth. We don't have to play around in the shallow end of the pool. We have to have a working knowledge of the basic beliefs. That's why here at Community Alliance, we offer you starting point. Starting point is the great place to start in understanding. It's walking through the Bible in 10 weeks to get a, a big picture idea of what it's all about. It's why we bring you walk through the, the, walk through the, the Bible. It's why on March 22nd, we're going to bring a group in here that's going to teach us the entire Old Testament in about five hours because we need to get a solid foundation. We need to be built up. That means we add to the foundation. It's not enough just to lay the foundation. We need to build on it. We build up on our, our knowledge and we already, what we already learned that if Christ is in me and I live in him, then that knowledge is going to show itself in obedience. That's why we do the truth project. It's why we do theopraxis. It's why we do the, the IR, the intentional relationship seminar. It's why we offer our, our, our worldview class. You see, we offer those not because we have to have a Sunday school or we have to have a Sunday evening. We have them because you need to be rooted and built up. You need to be there. Or you're going to be tossed back and forth by every wind of doctrine. You're going to be deceived by fine-sounding arguments. You're going to live your life based on hollow and deceptive philosophies of this world, built on human tradition and not the basic principles of God, but the basic principles of this world. Rooted and built up is a growing process. It's a process that shows progress. These two words have to be understood together. We lay a foundation of truth and then we build upon it. We have to have a firm foundation and then add right thinking to it. Paul says the third safety instruction is strengthen your faith. Build it and rooted, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith, established in the faith, similar to rooted, established through the teaching of the church. My question is, who is teaching you? Where are you learning? Who are you learning from? I trust that it's more than here Sunday morning. I know we say that all the time, but I'm still fearful that most of you, this is all you're getting. And as good as this is, it's not enough. Not enough to be rooted and built up. Not enough to be undeceived. Sin weakens us. Weakens our relationship with God and others. Weakens our effectiveness and our productivity. But Christ who is in you brings you the power and authority over sin. 
When you were dead in your sins, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our, our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the, power, having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Having disarmed the powers and authorities, re- rendered sin powerless, and that power over sin lives in you. Strengthen your faith. Continue to be victorious over sin in your life. Then the last safety instruction is be thankful. Overflowing with thankfulness. Why thankful? Because Christ is in you. And you in Christ makes a positive change in your life. It gives you hope. It gives you hope for knowing the truth, for not being deceived, for not going a long way down life and going, oh man, that was a wrong decision I made when I was 22. And this is where it led me. It gives hope in the midst of a world that is no longer interested in truth. We live in a world where truth doesn't matter. Everyone has their own truth. That's why we're filled with fine-sounding arguments. I love the fact that we have more people now in small groups than any other time in really our church's history, I think. That we've almost doubled in the last three years. That we have almost 100 women and 50 men growing each week through small groups. And men, quite frankly, we got some catching up to do. There's 100 women and only 50 men. Men, who's teaching you? Where are you learning? Where are you strengthening your your faith? How are you being rooted and built up? As a church staff, we understand the battle that we are in. And it's a battle for truth. So we create classes, we create seminars where you can come and know that you are getting truth. This is a safe place to learn. But if you ignore it, expect to be tossed to and fro. Expect to be deceived. Expect to not know the answers. Expect to have trouble in this life. One of my greatest joys, one of the things I love most about my job is being able to create. God says we are in in the men's ministry on Wednesday morning and Thursday night, we're learning about work being worship. And that we are created to create. And one of my greatest joys in my job is to be able to create lessons. To be able to create sermons. To create series. To know that, that people can come and hear truth. Be rooted and build up. So let me ask you, what worldview do you live by? What basic assumptions are you making your life choices with? Warning. There is a boatload of bad thinking in this world. How are you growing? Who is teaching you? What are you learning? If I was to ask you, what has God taught you this week? Are you rooted in the truth? Are you building on that? Are you growing? Are you strengthening your faith? Are you a safe place for other people to turn? 
take advantage of what God is providing for us here to be rooted and built up, no longer deceived. Let's pray. Father, we praise you that you are a God of truth. Lord, that you have established your truth, that you yourself are truth. Father, I acknowledge that we live in a world that is not concerned about your truth. And Lord, forgive us for not being diligent in rooting ourselves, in living in you, in being built up, in making truth a priority. Father, continue to teach us. Continue to build us. Father, give us a heart and a passion for your word. Give us a heart and a passion for your truth that we might not be tossed to and fro. Father, we can stand firm and we can be a safe haven for other people to come and find you, to find the truth. Lord, the truth only exists in your church. We are the holders of truth. Help us share. Help us learn. In Jesus' name, amen.